Welcome to the Park Road Talkback Podcast. Today's podcast is a conversation with Russ Dean, co-pastor at Park Road Baptist Church with Amy Jacks Dean, about his new book, Finding a New Way Home, The Unlikely Path of a Reluctant Baptist Renegade. I'm Bruce Holliday, Director of Communications at Park Road, and today Russ and I will be talking about Chapter 2 of his book called Looking for the Spirit of the Message. Hello, Russ. How are you today? I'm well, Bruce. How about you? Your book deals with nine experiences in your life that have been instrumental in shaping and growing your faith. Um, In this chapter, you talk about an experience with a professor in college who encouraged you to look at the spirit of the message when reading biblical texts. Yeah, so this was my sophomore year. I had I had just had that experience with philosophy, which was our first chapter that we talked about. Um, it had opened the doors, blown my mind. I really kind of uh, left my freshman year a little bit shaken, you know. Um, and so I entered Furman my second year, um, and I had this class with John Shelley. Um, and I don't remember the name of the class. I don't remember exactly what we were were studying, but we were reading the the, the Egypt story, Moses in Egypt, and he uh, tells the Pharaoh, "Let my people go." Um, and uh, at some point there, um, the scripture says, "And God hardened the Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the people go." Um, and for the first time in my life, I was. I guess, 19 years old, for the first time in my life, something from the Bible didn't resonate with me, didn't make sense. I'm I'm reading, so God hardened the Pharaoh's heart so he would not let the people go. (laughs) And all of these questions started rolling. doesn't, Doesn't that really make God responsible for the plagues and the evil and all the pestilence and all the suffering of the people and, um, if God hardened the Pharaoh's heart, and I went up to Dr. Shelley after class, and I said, Dr. Shelley, I, I'm, I, I want to ask about this. What, what does this mean? God hardened the Pharaoh's heart, so God's responsible. I don't understand this. And he said, Russ, sometimes you have to listen for the spirit of the text and not just the words. And I said in, in this chapter, Somebody might have said that before. My dad as a pastor, somebody might have said that before, but I had never heard that before. I had never heard anybody say, sometimes you have to look beyond the words or between the words or um, for the for the message of the overall scripture rather than just the literal words of this one verse. I'd never heard that before. And it um, just instantly... Um, changed my perspective. Um, and as I, as I was saying to you before we, we came on to record, I'm not sure that I could have gotten to the other chapters that I record in this book um, had I not had an opening to a way to read the Bible, to think about the Bible, to hear the Bible um, that was different. I wouldn't have been open to the experiences. I, I, I certainly wouldn't have been able to appropriate them in a healthy way uh, that I've done. All the rest of those chapters are probably dependent on right. my being able to think about reading Scripture and how we understand the Bible in a different way. Did it? Did you go right back and start rereading the Bible with this kind of new perspective, or was it more of a gradual process as you as you continued? Uh, along your spiritual path that 
you would come to places and see it, or, or did you dive right back? Yeah, I, I said in this chapter, unlike the the experience that I recounted w- with my philosophy class, that that was a, a semester long. It, it it took a semester of the professor talking, and this was something that was slow to happen. And then it took me a long, long time to kind of adjust to this idea of once you get educated, nothing's ever easy again. That's that's chapter one. Uh, so that was kind of a slow process. This experience, for some reason, and maybe it was because I had been opened to some some new ways of questioning. I remember when Dr. Shelley said this, it was just like immediately things changed. I immediately began to hear scripture in a different way. Right. Um, I didn't I didn't really I didn't really struggle with this, wrestle with this. It was just like, oh wow. I can hear that. I can read this differently. I can I can appropriate this in a different way. So it was a it was a pretty quick change for me. Did you feel like it strengthened your faith uh, immediately, or did it just kind of um, did it take a while to to work through this and 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 assimilate this new perspective into your faith? Yeah, I think I think most of these experiences took a while for me to assimilate. This is this is a change that I felt immediately, and I remember immediately thinking about reading scripture differently. But then, of course, that brought up lots of lots more questions. If I'm going to read the text in a different way, if I'm not going to read "Slaves Obey Your Masters," well, maybe there's a different way to read that other than this is justifying slavery. Uh, that, so that's kind of troublesome. So it, it continued to to work with me for a long for a long time, um, and I think assimilate is a good a good word. It took me a while, um, but it but it is a change that I began to feel immediately. Um, I mean, I I went to church every Sunday. I read the Bible. You know, it, it, it was part of my life. It always has been, right. and so I think it's something that I did immediately begin to feel. Although I was, I had to work for a while. Um, to, to get comfortable with some of the implications of that. Yeah, and and you go on in this chapter to talk about the 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 idea that perhaps we shouldn't just hand a Bible to a child and expect them to read the truth literally out of the Bible. That there may need to be more guidance for young people uh, or anyone actually to to understand the Bible as something that may might not be literally true. And that uh, you need to understand, as as the title of the chapter indicates, the spirit of the message. Yeah, I was playing there with a quote by Stanley Hauerwas. Hauerwas was an ethicist at uh, Duke Divinity School for many years and pretty controversial. He loved to say things that got people riled up. And I think that was kind of part of his M.O. But um, in, in one of his books, he said... Um, North America, many North American Christians assume that we have a right, if not obligation, to read the Bible. I challenge that assumption. He went on to say, um, we, we are so acculturated by the ideas and the values of this culture. He, he's not sure we, we really, the average person can just open the Bible and read it. There are different ideas in the Bible. There's a whole different vision in the Bible. And so Harawas in his typically controversial way, kind of said, we need to take that, take the Bible out of the hands of people. And I was toying with that idea a little bit, you know, at, at our church, we still give Bibles to our third graders um, and, uh, you know, they're learning to read. And so we give them a Bible. And so I kind of played with this idea. What if, what if we 
postpone that? What if we went through all of elementary school and taught our children the stories? We went through middle school and, and continued to teach the Bible uh, and, and then gave up gave a dedicated course in how to read the Bible to high school kids and then gave them a Bible. Might they be able to hear it and use it in a different in a different way, appreciate it more? Um, I run into so many people, Bruce, that have, have basically just given up on the Bible. It's right. just old. It, it's antiquated. It's old language. It's all those Old Testament stories that are awful and they're irredeemable. And I just think, oh, gosh, there's... <laughs> They're so wonderful. All those stories are so wonderful, and we can learn so much from them. But you've got to have a way. You've got to. You got to know how to read. And so I, I do wonder if we do an injustice to people by just saying, "Here, you're in the third grade. You can read. Now you can have a Bible." So I'm one of those people that has a trouble has trouble with the Old Testament. And you and I have had this conversation many times, and I really appreciate. Uh, your perspective that you you can't just literally read the stories that there's a, there's a message there that you have to tease out of some of those stories. So how do you equip people with the knowledge or the understanding or the skills to read the Bible in a way that maybe is not literal but actually has a message? that will be helpful in their faith. The, the way I was going to answer that question as you started asking it, Bruce, was to use that word you just used, literal. Um, I think literal is the only way that a lot of people have to think about the Bible. They read the story and they just read it like it's a history book, like it, like somebody had recorded this with a, uh, a video camera and, you know, here's the story and they just wrote it down and and you either believe it like that or you don't. That's the end of the story. Mm -hmm. I, I want to say to people, the Bible needs to be understood literarily, not literally. Everything in the Bible is more ha, has a more important message than a just literal message. Now, that, that doesn't mean nothing in the Bible has any historical basis to it. Right. Uh, you know the the uh, the history of Israel. A lot of those are historical events or based on historical events. But the point is, the Bible was not written just to record history. The Bible was written from start to finish as a theological document, and there's always theology behind it. So it's never just literal, and that may mean that the stories did not literally happen. They are not historical. That might mean they are historical or there's a kernel of history, but there's always something more than that. And I, I think most people just don't get to that point that they can even think of the stories in any way other than well, it says Jonah was swallowed by a fish, and so that's what it means. And either they say, well, it's the Word of God, and I believe it, or they say, there's no way that happened, and I'm throwing that out. I think we typically read the Bible as if God wrote it start to finish. You know, um, there's this is one book. And I think a helpful thing for people to understand is that um, the, the Latin, ta biblia, means the books. And so the Bible, the word Bible comes from that Latin, ta biblia, the books. It's not a book. 
It is a library of books. And what scholars can tell us now is that many of the books of the Bible, um, they can trace as they read very carefully in there and notice differences in language and, um, you know, semantics and all this kind of thing. They, they can tease out. It looks like, for example, the, uh, the book of Isaiah, it looks like there were there were multiple writers and those writers were brought together, maybe four different periods of time, four different writers, and those were all brought together and some editor put them together and compiled them as a book called Isaiah. Just just that little bit of knowledge to say the book of Isaiah was written over a period of maybe a couple hundred years by several different authors who lived in different places. Um, and, and then somebody later came behind and put this together. The Bible is a literary masterpiece, um, but it's not as if somebody sat down and wrote it start to finish. So I like to help people see there are competing themes in the Bible. There are various theologies in the Bible. And if we can let those sometimes contrasting theologies speak, the, the point isn't what is the one theology of the Bible, but what can we learn from these various voices that, that might be at odds? What, do you, what would you say to people who push back uh, because they they are looking for certainty or uh, something that's absolute in their faith, and and then suddenly someone like Rustine comes along and says, "Well, you know, you can't read this literally. You have to you have to work a little bit more to understand the the message that's contained within these books of the Bible." How how do you reach people like that with with your message about a better way to read the Bible? I think that's a very very difficult thing, Bruce. Yeah. B- people that are conditioned. Um, and, and the fact that this experience happened to me and it and it opened the door to a new way of reading, it doesn't always happen that way. You know, my, my friends warned me about the professors in the religion department at Furman, um, the, these liberal professors. You know, you got to watch out about, uh, about them. This is part of what they were talking about. And so I think it's very difficult once someone is um, enculturated in a literal interpretation, interpret, uh, interpretive principle. I think it's very difficult, but I want to say to people, the Bible is is central to my life and my understanding uh, of, of God, of all issues of faith. I have not thrown it out. It, it, it means more to me today than it did in that in that Furman class 35 years ago. Um, the Bible is still the word of God for me. It's not the words of God, right. though. Yeah. Um, and, and word of God, it has come through human voices. Um, and that gives it, you know, that gives it more power to me, Bruce, rather than um, it, it isn't like the Bible is some magic book that kind of fell out of the sky. God gave it to us. And the fact that it is individual lives and stories and people wrestling just like I am wrestling, just like you are wrestling, trying to find God. And if I were to write my story down and somebody read it 200 years from now or 2,000 years from now, you might be able to read that story literally. Amy and I say God called us to come to Park Road Baptist Church. If I wrote that down, 
100 years from now, somebody might say he had, had an audible call from God. Well, no, that's not at all what that means. God didn't literally speak to Amy and me, but we had a sense that God was calling us, moving us. Um, I was just going to say, I think that this way of, of, of reading the Bible actually makes it a much more powerful document. It just gives it greater breadth and depth, uh, as, as I would read it, if I'm not kind of constrained by looking at it as, uh, as a factual narrative. It just gives me more latitude to find a way uh, through the Bible in, in a spiritual path. Do you, you think that's um, true for you, that it, it just kind of expands the power of the book? It, it does. And for, for me, it becomes part of the conversation. And, and I don't go to the Bible to say, what is the one message? What is the one truth? What is the only thing I can hear from this? Um, again, the, the, there are numbers of places where there are different theologies expressed. If we had some time, we could go into that more. Um, but rather than saying, what is the message? Um, I read the Bible and, and I'm hearing other people of faith uh, engaging the same issues. Where is God? Who is God? What is God? How am I supposed to live in this world? How am I supposed to treat my neighbor? Um, and, and we're all working on this. And the Bible comes as a great resource, um, an amazing resource that's been validated over thousands of years as people have read it and affirmed it. Um, but I want to let those varying different voices speak to me um, and and I want to engage in them as a conversation um, that that then deepens my conversation with God. In this chapter, you've you've uh, referenced the fact that the Bible has been called salvation history, uh, that biblical narrative is a testimony, not a proof. It is descriptive and not prescriptive. It is prepositional and not propositional. Could you talk a little bit about uh, uh, that concept? Yeah, salvation history, and that goes back to the 19th century, I think some German theologians, um, that salvation history is not literal. Salvation isn't literal. Salvation is a spiritual thing. You can't measure salvation. Right. Uh, it, it's a spiritual thing that people can talk about, um, but there's, but it's not a literal thing. And so... I want to see the Bible as a conversation about um, the, the people of God called Israel uh, in their journey with God, and they're trying to understand God, and I would, I would call that their, their journey toward salvation. And then in the, then in the New Testament, you get a, a, a new group of disciples who are trying to understand, and then a new church. Um, and those pairs of words that I gave, one is prepositional, not propositional. You know, propositions are things that you have to believe in your head. Um, you know, you give mental assent to these ideas. And, and I like to think of the Bible as prepositional. Prepositions are words that give a relationship. You can sit on the chair. You can sit under the chair. You can stand beside the chair. They're relational. And I, I like to think of the Bible not as filled with rules, filled with propositions that are absolute, but filled with um, a prepositional story, a relational story, and how we how we understand and relate to God and one another. Also, in this chapter, you you talk about the the idea of fiction 
as a uh, the final belief, I believe is the way you, you put that. Or there's a quote from Wallace Stevens who says, the final belief is to believe in fiction. And then you say, do not misunderstand fiction to mean false. I, I thought that was a very interesting concept. This is one of those quotes that I, I said, Howard Wass is controversial and sometimes said things to kind of stir people up. I, I, I might use this quote sometimes like that. The final belief is to believe in a fiction which you know to be a fiction, there being nothing else. I, I think if we think about how over the centuries, over the eons, how have people talked about truth, they have told stories. Uh, We think about Jesus's parables. These aren't actual historical, the parable of the sower. Jesus isn't talking about a literal farmer walking down the road. This This is a parable. He's made this story up. It's a fiction. But there is deep truth there. We think about in every culture, cultures have had their fictions, their stories, their narratives, their myths that are ways to think about how we understand what truth is. And so I I, I say sometimes to be a little controversial, if I have to think about faith as fact or fiction, I'd rather think about it as fiction. I'd rather think about it as story. The story of the people of God, salvation history of the people of God, my story in faith, rather than just a discrete set of facts that can be proved or not proved. Most of the things that I think are important about the Bible can't be proved. You can't prove God. You can't prove Jesus was resurrected. You can't prove the miracle. You can't prove any of that stuff. Mm. So in a strict definition, those aren't facts. Those are part of the narrative And so I I like this idea of helping people see Scripture as fiction, the most powerful way to talk about what truth is. I think so much of our culture is still wrapped up in a literal understanding of Bible. I, I don't know how many times over my 20 years as a pastor, somebody has come up to me and said, hey, pastor, would you tell me where in the Bible it says, and sometimes they'll say something like, a penny saved is a penny earned. Where does the Bible <laughs> say cleanliness is next to godliness? You know, we we hold up the Bible as if I I can point to it in the Bible, then by golly, it's true, you know, right. and there's just this very wooden kind of way of thinking. Um, and on the one hand, it means the Bible has value for people. On the other hand, uh, we're not reading the Bible very carefully. If we want to know if a penny saved and a penny earned, is where is that in the Bible? So I, I think we we betray a lot of our own um illiteracy about the Bible, if you listen to the way people talk about it. And I think it could change our culture so much to help people think about the Bible in in a way beyond just literal. Exactly. Well, perhaps we should add a, uh, a, the book of Ben Franklin, and then you would have, you'd have a place (laughs) to point people. (laughs) It's it's right here in the book of Ben Franklin. Well, thank you, Russ. It's been very good. It's been very enjoyable talking to you again today. I appreciate your time. Thanks for the conversation. If you'd like to learn more about obtaining a copy of Russ's book, Finding a New Way Home, you can find that information at the Park Road website, parkroadbaptist.org, under the resources tab. We also invite you to share this podcast with your friends and family. They can always find it on the Park Road website, or you can listen and subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or TuneIn. That's it for this week. From all of us at Park Road Baptist Church, 
Thank you for listening today. Grace and peace to you.